HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. The following message has been brought to you by Fairway Market. What's the buzz about honey? Well, those busy little bees are up to something, and it is delicious. The Fairway label honey is superb. Fairway only hires worker bees that are the best at what they do. This makes for a great-tasting, high-quality honey at an amazing value with the Fairway stamp of approval. And on top of being delicious, honey is a great substitute for other sweeteners and can even benefit your health. This includes better energy, respiratory improvements, and balanced blood sugar levels. It's a no-brainer. Get your Fairway honey today. Hi there, and welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, for this half-hour journey through culinary history. And today, actually, there are a lot of historical things to mention. Every time I, I don't know whether it's fall, because it's fall or what, but every time I turn around, there are new announcements of things that uh, places and people who are celebrating anniversaries. The Oyster Bar in Grand Central Station, for instance, is uh, celebrating its 98th birthday, 98 years of a restaurant in action the entire time, which is pretty amazing. And Whole Foods, one of our great sponsors, is celebrating 31 years. That surprised me. I, I didn't realize Whole Foods was around for 31 years. And the Culinary Historians of New York we are embarking on our 36th season of lectures and programs. I'm very impressed with that. And another 36-year anniversary is the publication of The Art of Eating. Uh, well, not in its present form, but certainly the the newsletter and the magazine and the whole idea. And today I'm talking with publisher and editor, the one-man show, Ed Bear of Art of Eating. Ed, are you there? 
Good to be here. And just a small correction. You, you misspoke. Not the 36th anniversary of the Art of Eating, but we're a wee bit younger, only the 25th. 25th. Well, now, I thought in 86 you first went up with the, um, the newsletter. I guess I had that wrong. That's right. Okay. Uh, no, 86. It should come out. It should come out to 25th. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I've just added up wrong. Uh, that's still, that's pretty impressive, let me tell you. Um, uh, as Ed, when we were talking earlier, I said the first time I remember noticing the art of eating, I was walking through Kitchen Arts and Letters in Manhattan on Lexington Avenue, and uh, Knock Waxman used to have this, uh, at the end of one of the bookshelves, there was a, a like a magazine rack with lots of, in those time there were a lot of little news sheets, newspapers, little, you know, two-page um, newsworthy newsletters, and right. there, without fail, was always... Ed Bear's newsletter, The Art of Eating. And now it has grown into a beautiful magazine. Oh, thank you. Uh, tell me, Ed, you, as I say, you are a one-man show. This magazine has absolutely no advertising. And it doesn't come out all that often. It's only four times a year. So uh, it's understandable. That's that, you know. That, we struggle to do that much. And I'm sure. <laughs> what? What inspired you to do this? Oh boy, I was. I, I'm often asked that, and the answer that I always that always springs right to mind is naivete, which isn't really much of an answer at all. But I had no idea of what I was getting into. I I clearly, at some point, it came to me that I was much more interested in food than I had ever been consciously aware of. And this came out of no. I mean, you're not a it, chef. You're not a culinary no, historian. I, you know, and, just... and my mother was who's whose uh, ethnicity is entirely English, um, American, I mean, going way, way back, but mostly going way, way back. But she just cooked plain food. It wasn't French or anything else. And I, But everybody loved to eat. And looking back, I realized that she and, and others in the family, you know, they were people who would talk at one meal about what we might be eating at the next meal, especially on vacations and times when you would all together at one at meal after meal <laughs> i just and i you know I, I also had a very this sounds silly maybe but i had a really large appetite i was pretty skinny and i could just eat a lot of food and even now in my uh, relatively old age I, I eat a lot for 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 my size <laughs> and i just think it's a, i think it's really i'm doing what i do largely because i get so much pleasure out of eating which sounds very simple but there it is well and everything you write about is not just not just food that no. normal people well, have no, on the I table it's the be, best of fairer to myself and not not just dwell on the sensual there is so much as you know and and listeners know t- connected with food that has nothing to do with strict sensuality it has to do with history and nature and farming and gardening and uh, I don't know the seas and the skies and um, technique and even science I mean it just goes on and on my that same mother used to say to me when I began to to write about food and she said this almost right away she said aren't you going to run out of things to write about and I keep you know I have a, a file a computer file list of all the things that I could potentially write about in the future, and I'm always adding to it, and there are things that I've never done and, and I'm really interested in, and they're still out there. Well, what I I love and I thank you for is that you 
you indulge your writers, at which and which was you for a long time, just you. <laughs> um, and the articles, you know how you'll pick up one of the regular glossies. We all know what they are, and we all love them, and we continue to get them and read them. But yeah. you'll get a pinch or a snippet of, let's say, a Greek dessert. And you want to know a little bit more. You want to you want to ask that next question. You want to go on. Well, where did it come from? Well, what kind of sugars did they use? And and you really do indulge your writers, and they go into depth. The articles are nice and leisurely and long. And you really, at the end of an article, you feel that you have learned something, or I feel I have learned something from this particular writer who has done a good amount of research. And yeah. and I really appreciate that. For instance, in this most recent issue, considering dessert, uh, you have a nice long article about cider, but French made cider, not yeah. hard not, cider, hard We've cider, made in America, hard cider, right? Um, and a, a nice composite of pastries, considering dessert, yeah. um, several different types of dessert, several different writers. You've got one of our hosts here on the radio, Mitchell Davis, writing about uh, Noma, uh, the, the restaurant, the number yeah. one restaurant in the world um, as of the last voting. <laughs> and, uh, and each of them are in-depth articles um, by, by good writers, I might add, too. And that's the other thing I noticed about your magazine is that you have kind of raised the bar on magazine articles and you're reaching out to a lot more um, established writers, I guess, I'd say. To some extent, I mean, we, I think we have a pretty good mix, and sometimes we have people who've never written before, which can be, can be a risk that usually pans out, um, but, but I, I think a mix. Um, and we don't, you know, we want fresh voices, and I try when I edit and when other people edit to, to preserve the writer's voice and, and make it special. And let me go back just a wee bit, because you were talking about research and, and length and so on, and, and let me connect to that with my answer to the question as to why I do what I do. Every article is supposed to be about taste. We do do history, or maybe even sometimes social history, but everything should be connected to taste. In other words, the history explains why things taste the way they do. And mm-hmm. the, the, the notion, I mean, I once... Thought of, I thought of using the word authenticity, but that's become kind of fraught because people say, well, what's authentic? You know, what point in time? Who, who, who are we speaking of and why, if you make a change, is it no longer authentic? It is still, you know, right. an endless and endless and, and maybe at some point not very interesting conversation. But what we're trying to do is to get at the essence of things, get at what makes this thing, whether it's a, an ingredient, a dish, a Norman cider, uh, a whole cuisine, what makes it what it is and not something else? And that, that, that thing, that turning point, the fulcrum is always taste. That's true. And well, you, you call it an independent print magazine of the best food and wine. Well, best, I mean, and of course that's taste is subjective, uh, right? That's as bad as authentic. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, well, we have to rely on someone to tell us what, yeah, and what I, we should I'm try. I'm a big believer in, in, uh, in making judgments, not in an unkind way, not necessarily in an exclusive way, but I don't want, you know, an onslaught of information. I want curated information. I want judgments, and, and best, obviously, for the most part in this case, is my judgment, uh, but also the, the judgment of the writer. And, and I don't necessarily agree with absolutely everything that goes into the magazine. Well, but it is, I mean, it is a wonderful um, compendium of people's opinions, and, and that's, that's what makes it interesting yeah, and, to and read. And hopefully, you know, not, 
maybe maybe we should be more aggressive and hard edged and and catch people's attention more with our opinions. But generally, I hope they're really persuasive and 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 put put forth in moderate language and and well argued and convincing so that nobody really is offended or yeah. well. And and oftentimes they are just instructive as well, which I think yeah. is. Uh, I mean, the idea is a lot. partly. I've just been writing this, um, but the idea is partly is, and this sounds just like something you really can't sell the public on, but it's kind of like, it's about connoisseurship, and which is a word that I think maybe puts a lot of people off, but, but it's really teaching people how to get more pleasure out of food, teaching people enjoyment, teaching people about things that, uh, foods they may not have encountered before or not really gotten what they were because they only came across them. I mean, we're just about to go to press with something about quince, mm-hmm. um, which which is not something we meet a whole lot. Um, and, and the same writer actually once upon a time, I don't know, a couple of years ago, did a piece on black currants, which taught me much more than I ever knew about black currants. Which are and now, which are now planted, back again. <laughs> what's that? Which are now back again. They are now yeah. back again. But I went and planted two Russian varieties that were mentioned in her piece, and then this summer I made jam out of them. And mm. lo and behold, it was a revelation. So um, now I've lost my, lost my train of thought. I was That's teaching right. teaching enjoyment. You yeah, know, there, there I am, I'm teaching myself some enjoyment. Well, and in, in a sense, teaching people how to taste and and to appreciate flavors and and be discerning. Yeah. Well, how, I mean, bring us along a little bit. First of all, I have to mention that you know you'd think you'd find a magazine like this coming out of somebody who's in the midst of, in, the, in the throes of the food world, all the happenings in the restaurants and the chefs in <laughs> New York City or Los Angeles or San Francisco. You are way up in the Northeast Kingdom. Yeah, in, probably a huge commercial mistake, but, <laughs> but it's a terrific. You know, it's a terrific. It's a terrific place to be if you want to write and get something done. Way up in Vermont, where what some place up there? Yeah, where the closest big city is is Montreal. Um, Right now, we're oh, that's a pretty big food city. (laughs) Which is a pretty big food city. We're about forty five minutes from the the Quebec border, and we're about um, I don't know three and a quarter hours from Boston, something like that. So we're way up in the poorest, coldest corner of Vermont, Um, but also probably for those reasons, maybe the most beautiful part of Vermont. Mm-hmm. So uh, well, not a bad place to be. And and this magazine can be found, well, we are, we're hoping yeah, it will be found in a lot more places. But... The readers are uh, concentrated, you know, Manhattan, Chicago, Northern California, around San Francisco, L.A., um, and certain other places, too, of course. And tell us a little bit about how, when, how the magazine first started or how the newsletter first started. Oh, boy. Well, that, you know... It, I was sort of in, in a back-to-the-land moment and, and <laughs> living in this poor, cold part of Vermont and, and, you know, being a carpenter and building houses, and it was just so, so impecunious. I mean, you couldn't earn a living at that time in this part of the world. So um, a friend of mine somehow started a building trades publication living in a house just beyond mine, which I helped him build, um, that was at the end of this long dirt road where he, it was at that, that, that time cheaper to bring in telephone than telephone plus power because the telephone poles could be lower than the ones that carried electricity. <laughs> so he started this magazine. Um, it was a kind of a tabloid. And, but he had a big, unlike me, he had a brilliant money-making idea. He perceived that there was a market for this thing he was doing that nobody else was doing and eventually it turned into a real magazine. And um, he sold it for a large sum of money years later. Um, but that he, that he did that, that he was able to do that, 
it's made me think maybe I should be writing and publishing. Hmm. So that kind of was, was a, a sort of a model for what I began to do. Something to do on those long, cold, snowy winters, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, I mean, it certainly has come. I mean, it was, and you really, you literally just published what was like a two-page newsletter, right? It was actually, it was eight pages. Oh, well, um, sorry. And, and the design was, you know, embarrassing to look back upon. Um, but it quickly changed and got better, the design. And it was always from the start this rather purest thing. Obviously, no ads, because in the beginning, who would have advertised? But you know, I, I remember I reviewed the, the book, The Bread Ovens of Quebec, and I wrote the entire review. And only just before I went to press did I realize the book was also available in English. So I apparently was making no concessions <laughs> to my readers at the very beginning. I try to be a little more friendly to our readers now. Yeah. Uh, well, we're going to talk a little bit more about um, where this has taken you and uh, about this the model of this magazine when we come back after a short break. are back, and I'm talking with Ed Baer, the editor and publisher of The Art of Eating. And Ed, you were um, mentioning how it, you know, it was, you know, no advertising, well, I was mentioning too, no advertising in the magazine. So is that to say that you rely solely on uh, subscriptions? It is, and this is this is the thing that Chris Kimball figured out in Cook's Illustrated. Mm-hmm. He originally had a magazine called The Cook's Magazine that, oh, he sold and was killed, <laughs> but uh, he came. It was, that was a big glossy and with ads. And then he realized that that you could you could actually um, have a magazine with with no ads. That it was a much simpler th- business to run, and that you could uh, people would willingly pay more money for a subscription because they had a greater relationship of trust with the magazine. And that's that is in essence what I'm doing. Though Chris executed it much um, more deftly in some ways for a larger audience than. Than, than the art of eating has. Well, one of the nice things that this has spawned is that um, a cookbook came out of this. Yes. Uh, tell us about that. Well, for our 25th anniversary, um, I collected recipes, almost all of which had appeared in the magazine, and then and and some of which were uh, nearly all of which I did, but but I don't know, 10 percent or whatever were done by my friend James McGuire, a chef in Montreal, who is oh I don't know, he's a living encyclopedia of classical French cooking and a terrific baker. Anyway, I revised, I threw myself into turning these recipes into a book. I was complete, I was just expecting to cut and paste in a word file. And I found that I just did vast quantities of revision, rethinking, rewriting, adding, and so on, hopefully making a book that 
very much a whole and and that stands up and has lasting value and offers a lot of reading because some of the introductions to the recipes are longer than the recipes which themselves. i which i think is so sorely missing in many of our cookbooks today i think I, that i love that give a little flavor of where the recipe came from what it should look like what it should taste like that to me is very important yeah, I was trying, and, and not perhaps every recipe did I succeed, but the idea was, was once again, my standard thing, I was really trying to present the essence of, of, of the thing. You mm-hmm. know, what, what makes it the most what it is? What, you know, if it's ragu bolognese, if it's, um, now, of course, I'll draw a blank and can't think of anything that's in the book, <laughs> but if it's tapenade or something, you know, that's very familiar, all these things, what makes them what, what they are? It's not that there's a single definitive recipe, but, but the... The description, at least, and, and together with the recipe, present a picture of what makes them really what they are and not something else, right. not some other spaghetti meat sauce, not some other uh, whirled-up uh, olive paste. Well, and it's a very easy title to remember. It's The Art of Eating Cookbook, and uh, that I think that people will be pleased to, to uh, pick that up and read through those recipes. It gives you kind of a, a, a feeling and a background of, of as you say, a springboard to experiment and go further, but there you get the essence of, of the, the food. And you do quite a bit of cooking, I might add. I remember reading some articles that Nancy Harmon Jenkins wrote an article about you way back when about New York what a great baker you were. <laughs> That's true. I've, I actually I have a half-written bread book that I've had for years. I'm, I'm in the midst of doing too many things, including too many books, and that will probably be the last book that ever comes out. But bread was the subject of my very first uh, food letter, the very first issue of The Art of Eating. And I've always just had a powerful interest in bread. For years, I baked my own bread. And then, of course, perhaps like a certain number of other home bakers, when there began to be really good bread available nearby, I, I was my, my ambition was undercut, and I began to buy bread so that I only rarely make bread. But I just love bread. I think it's you know, I, I think bread is one of those hugely underestimated things. And, and when I go to a restaurant and it's treated as an appetizer, they give you a little and then they take it away. <laughs> I'm always kind of offended because my, my big thing is that bread is, is a food that makes, is bread is something that makes other foods taste better, you know, especially <laughs> when you have sauce, certain things, liquidy things in particular. And the idea that bread should be taken away for the bulk of the meal just seems to me a fundamental misunderstanding of all of Western cooking, but yeah. there you have it. Yeah. Um, well, and there is a very little bit, there is a little bit of bread in, in, the, in the new cookbook, but not, could, it's, not, is, yeah. it's not a deep. Well, and there are um, not, I mean, there are usually always recipes in the magazine. Yes, and there are always not? some yeah. recipes, yeah. hopefully really well considered and, and, and fairly deep, but, uh, but usually, usually, I don't know, three, six. Well, now tell me about the um, the articles in the magazine. I mean, they sometimes don't always. I mean, like the hard cider and then the feature spread, which are you know considering desserts. Um, so you do kind of run different. We try things to in the same issue. some variety. I yeah. mean, years ago, I devoted a single issue to a single article with no recipes. It was all. It was actually. I, I don't feel badly about. it. I really like it, even in retrospect. But it was a whole issue on Provencal goat cheeses, with <laughs> nothing else. Well, now we try to provide more things for more people, and to have restaurant reviews and book reviews and recommendations for sources of supply and. Uh, wine reviews and you know and and, and vary the content. Uh, I, I wouldn't be opposed to a to an even narrower single 
theme piece, but it's harder to get really wonderful stuff on all on the same narrow theme. Well, and you want to reach out to as many readers as possible, too. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and still be true to your philosophy of, of what you're doing. But tell me, with these, are you soliciting the articles mostly, or are you... Do you have a big enough name most, now people approach you? Yeah, mostly things that come out of the blue aren't quite right because people don't, oh, you know, we do have writer's guidelines. I mean, we have a, you know, the, this notion that everything should turn on taste and people aren't always so aware of that. But, but we are, you know, any great piece of writing, we're certainly eager and grateful for it. Mm-hmm. Because you don't, I mean, I noticed in looking through all my past issues in preparation, I noticed that you don't really have a stable of writers that you keep going back to and relying on no, necessarily. No, there are certain people who recur, mm-hmm. um, but no, it's not It's not a fixed group, and, and, and I like that. I, like I do too. I think changes. that's what makes the magazine special. It, it, it gives it, it always has a fresh take on something. Mm-hmm. Um, fresh meaning, you know, it's, some, it's, it's not the same point of view it's on sometimes jaded sometimes you know too um too assuming it's always a fresh outlook on whatever is you is that you're writing about someone's writing about and i well, and i do appreciate that yeah, yeah it's almost a relief because of course my own tendencies i'm so anchored in sort of traditional french and italian food especially and so i work very hard not to have that be a limit and to go beyond it and to publish things that perhaps challenge a bit that point of view. Mm-hmm. And yet you don't, uh, now some people may consider it to be too much of an elitist magazine, but... Well, I, you know, <laughs> years ago when I was starting out, somebody offered that as a criticism. And anything that's very that's, that's very good or tries to be very good is elite in its way. So I'm not entirely sure that's a criticism. Um it, it, it is true that, you know, it, it costs a lot of money to produce a really good small circulation magazine. So, y- 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 yes, I wish, I, wish, I wish the price of a subscription were less, but mm-hmm. um, it's the way it, it works out, and um, I don't know what to say beyond yeah. well, that. Well, nice to have a very generous patron. That wouldn't hurt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, more, more subscription. And the, the cookbook is, is a, a good value, I think. And, well, and that's um, what I was thinking. The cookbook, of course, can help, you know, help move things along, too, and, and, and get people's, you know, turn people's eye to the magazine, which, you yeah. know, one thing lead to and, another. And you I, never know. I think, you know, the, the magazine, more than the cookbook, is really for people who love both food and love to read in, a, in, in, in that they'll, they'll, they want a longer article. They want more substance. They're right. people like me who, when they read an article in a magazine that comes to an early end, you think, oh... That's too bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so it's so it's not for everybody, and yet I think it, we we work hard to make it really accessible. Not to assume any, you know, not to use food and wine jargon. Not to assume that people know anything in particular, uh, but but to write it for everyone on 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 various levels of knowledge and appreciation. So. Um, well, it's interesting. Be elitist in that. No, and I and I and I just say that because I know that it has been a perception, and I don't. But I don't think it is either. I mean, I think anyone who wants to know more about food, whether they can afford to to buy the different things that are you know involved in it, but it's it's all about the natural product, the or the, sure, and, the original and product. Ab- absolutely, um, good, really great food doesn't have to be expensive. That's I right. mean, really great food can be expensive, but really great food can be. 
potatoes and onions and you bet. I mean, you bet. The <laughs> cabbage. Uh, you know, there there are there are things that occur on and have occurred in classical on the tables of the very of the aristocrats and the very rich um, that are very that are basic humble ingredients. Well, it's interesting because I I was reading the article about cider oh last week or two a couple weeks ago a few weeks ago I guess. And I thought, oh, I was considering doing a show on cider. Oh, well, maybe I'll call Ed Bear. He would have some names of some some good cider makers, maybe that I could some experts that I could interview. And as I was thinking of that, I said, well, why don't I just interview Ed? Because <laughs> I found out about this through the magazine, and he would be a person to, to interview about this model of of a um, great magazine. And I I just hope that you can keep it coming because yeah. it's something that I really do appreciate and and I thank you very much for spending time to to share your thoughts on this and and I encourage people to uh, to read. you've got a, a website too the art of eating dot com dot com sure okay. and the book is on Amazon and elsewhere so yeah. it's easily accessible and uh, and I hope people will take a look at it and and enjoy it as much as I do thank you so much for joining me Ed thank you it's been a pleasure. listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. This is a message from Fork and Anchor. Aaron Fitzpatrick, the host of our wine program, Unfiltered, is looking for help on Kickstarter to open Fork and Anchor, a general store inspired by two food-loving ladies with an equal affection for urban life, the sea, and the agricultural paradise of Long Island's North Fork. The store is situated in a growing community of farmers and winemakers and will become a meeting place offering prepared foods, a variety of sun-dries, and a selection of homespun products, many of which will have their origins in New York State. Your backing will help them fulfill their dream of fostering relationships with the community and making the local food system accessible on a broader scale. Search kickstarter.com for Fork and Anchor and donate today. The Heritage Meat Shop has just opened in the Essex Street Market. Open from 9 to 7 Monday through Saturday and 10 to 6 on Sundays, the Heritage Meat Shop supports independent family farms and animal welfare approved and certified humane raising standards. Most importantly, they offer a wide variety of heritage breeds. So stop by, get a sandwich, try the charcuterie. The Heritage Meat Shop at the Essex Street Market. The following is a message from Heritage Foods USA. 14 family farms and over 50 restaurants have committed to participation in No Goat Left Behind, a new program developed by Heritage Foods USA, a meat distribution company dedicated to preserving endangered breeds. Without an end market, the majority of male dairy goats are sold into the commodity market or killed at birth. Dairy farmers are always struggling with feed prices, milk prices, and weather. Goats usually have twins or triplets, and for every female who will become a milker, there is a male buckling who will become a financial drain. 
It makes no sense that these males are sold into the commodity market or put to death when the United States imports almost 50% of its annual goat supply. Home consumers interested in participating can order goats through HeritageFoodsUSA.com. They will receive goats via FedEx, and home delivery is available for New York City customers. In addition to the goat, these packages will also include recipes and a DVD featuring interviews with the farmers, processors, and chefs demonstrating how to break down and cook goat. Again, for more information on No Goat Left Behind, visit www.heritagefoodsusa.com or call Aaron Fairbanks at 718-389-0985.